Well, good morning. We are in the eye of a hurricane, is what it looks like on the weather map. And uh, the snow that came through last night has just parted around us, and hey, we may not get any the rest of the day. So I don't know what happened. I don't know who prayed for that, but thank you. Um, and then we have some other things we want you to pray about, if you can do that. Um, in ancient Roman ruins, all over the ancient world, as far away uh, from Rome as uh, England, they have discovered tons of written prayers from 2,000 years ago. Uh, it, what it seems happened was that people would actually pay. They'd go to the temples, and they would pay to have their prayers written down and stored in those temples. Most of them have uh, come under this name of curse tablets because that's the most frequent kind of prayer that was written on them. And uh, we might call them for us revenge tablets. They were very detailed prayers. In the prayers that were written down, uh, the person who was praying this got very specific every single time. They talked about what a person did to them and how they did it, and what they wanted the gods, the Roman gods, to do to that person, and even sometimes exactly how they wanted the gods to get even for them. Here's one of those prayers that was found in Rome. The man writes, he says, I invoke you, holy angels and holy names, tie up, block, strike, overthrow, harm, destroy, kill, and shatter Eucarius, the charioteer, and all his horses tomorrow in the arena of Rome. Pretty well got it covered, right? There's not much else bad could happen to this Eucarius character. But he goes on. He gets more specific. He says, let the, start, the starting gates not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not make a pass or a turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him not squeeze over and overpower. Let him not come from behind and pass. Instead, let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up. Let him drag behind, both in the early races and in the later ones. I mean, like the gods were going to get tired or kind of lose focus and let him win one? No, not according to this guy's prayers. Then he says, now quickly, let his breath be bad and his teeth not be dazzling white. <laughs> yeah, he, no, he didn't. I made that up. Okay, so everything except that last sentence was actually recorded in one of those prayers. This guy hurt me. I want the gods to hurt him back. I hate him. That's the most common kind of prayer that was found in over 1,600 of these that have been found. So let me ask you a question. How many prayers do you think they've found that are asking the gods to forgive an enemy? Prayers like this. Eucarius hurt me badly. Would you deliver me from my resentment? Would you help Eucarius find genuine repentance? Would you forgive his sin and mine? Would you heal our relationship? How many of those bless my enemy tablets? you think they've found? Exactly none. Now, you didn't pray those kinds of prayers to the Roman gods. At that same period in history, 2,000 years ago, in a tiny little village, a child was born to a teenage mom and her young carpenter husband. Jesus was born into a world where revenge was common. 
where relationships were guided by fierce loyalty to your friends and fierce opposition to your enemies. The gods were there to help you get what you needed, and if you got hurt, what you needed was to get even. Jesus came and laid a foundation for a very different faith. A faith that would change how we relate to people we love and those we don't. Jesus came not only to heal our relationship with God, but to also heal our relationships with each other. Well, I am convinced that given the opportunity this morning, almost every one of us could write out a curse tablet. There's somebody in our life, at least one person, that we would do that with. Might be a parent who severely wounded you. Might be a business partner who cheated us. It might even be a spouse who abandoned us. When we think of those people in our lives, our first thought is usually not forgiveness. It's anger. And anger left unchecked can lead to resentment and bitterness in our lives. Instead, you know, what we're called to do is live in the radically different way that Jesus taught us to live in our relationships. His teaching was different than the prevailing wisdom of his day. It was even different than the law of Moses in the Old Testament. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you hurt me, I'll hurt you. And it's radically different than what we experience today in our lives. Think about how tough it would be to really live out Jesus' words, but how much different our world would be if we did. Listen to what he says. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you'll be called children of the Most High because he's kind and ungrateful to the wicked. He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge, and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then Jesus goes on to explain how those three things, judging, condemning, and forgiving, work in relationships when he says, give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured in your lap. And then these sobering words to finish, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, often uh, after a Sunday morning, people come up and go, so what do you think Jesus really meant when he said this? Right? This one's pretty clear. Jesus meant that when we hand out judgment and condemnation in relationships, even to our enemies, that's what we're going to get back in return. And it, the same principle applies to forgiveness. We can't expect to be forgiven when we hurt someone in a relationship if we never offer forgiveness. I think Jesus was as clear as he could possibly be on these things. Even though it is our desire to follow Jesus, we struggle at times to forgive. We get these false messages that run in our head, these ideas, these narratives that convince us it's okay not to forgive or something should happen before we should forgive. Like we believe that the person, if I forgive the person, they may hurt me again. Unfortunately, it's kind of the way relationships work. We do hurt each other from time to time. We will need to forgive that person again. Peter, one of 
Jesus' closest followers struggled with this. And he went up to Jesus one day and he said, look, how many times do I need to forgive? How about seven times? Is that enough? (laughs) I just kind of picture Jesus laughing, looking back at him and going, "Um, not even close, Peter. He said, you need to forgive 70 times seven. You know? I think about that, I think I need an app in my life to track how many times I've forgiven people so I know when they're getting close to that 490. The only problem is they'd have it for me too. Look, sometimes we convince ourselves that that person needs to learn a lesson before we'll forgive them. They need to understand what they did and how painful it was, and so we just withdraw from them relationally, or we withhold forgiveness from them in hopes that they'll see their ways, in hopes that they'll understand, in hopes that they'll change. And it really doesn't change them when we do that. It just changes us. We believe they need to come to us first. We believe that they're not sorry for what they've done, so there's no way we can forgive them. Or that forgiving them seems too easy, unfair in light of how they've hurt us. We build these arguments up in our mind. We convince ourselves why we shouldn't forgive, why it's okay to hang on to the hurt. And it's easy to do. And we can choose not to forgive people in our lives, but we need to understand the consequences of that choice. When we don't forgive, it imprisons us in our past. We continue to be stuck in the pain. We keep the pain alive. It's kind of like picking at an open sore on your skin. It's never going to heal if you keep picking at it. Refusing to forgive breeds bitterness in us. You ever been around somebody that's holding on to something and they just can't let it go? It it kind of taints every conversation. You don't have to press hard to get into that pain that they've got and the bitterness they've got over it. When we hold on to things, when we nurse grudges, we can become caustic. We have these malignant memories that eventually will ruin everything else in our lives. Jesus says there's an alternative. We can forgive. And in fact, it's the very thing that God commands us to do. Paul writes and says, God settled the relationship between us and Him. And then He calls us to settle our relationships with each other. Those are tough words to live out, especially when we've been hurt deeply. But it helps with it, I think, to remember that forgiving doesn't mean that we forget, condone, excuse, tolerate, or overlook what that person did. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we have to keep letting the same offense happen again and again and again. It doesn't mean that we open ourselves up to abuse because there are some people in this world who are just mean. They're obnoxious. They're unreliable. They hurt us intentionally. And they may never change. But we can change. We can change how we respond to them. And if necessary, we can even change the relationship. We can end the relationship and still forgive. Because if people continually hurt us, it's important to know that forgiving doesn't mean that we forgive and restore the same relationship. You know, we have these places we get sideways with each other in relationship and sometimes we come out of those with a better understanding of each other and our relationship is stronger sometimes we realize this is just not a healthy relationship anymore and we end it 
What I can promise you is if you're hurt deeply, the relationship will probably never be the same as it was before you were hurt. It'll just be different. Ultimately, forgiveness is a choice. It's a conscious decision that we make. It's a decision to move away from revenge and towards healing. It's a decision to let go of any grudge or resentment that we've been holding on to. And it would be easier. And in fact, it's fun sometimes to nurse a grudge. We get a little satisfaction out of it. But Scripture's clear we have an obligation to forgive, just as we've been forgiven every single time. In Mark eleven twenty six, Jesus says, if you hold on to anything against anyone, anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, I, I, we just need to spend a couple of minutes talking about how do we work on this? How do we do, this is hard work to forgive, right? And, History tells me, from personal history as well as ministry experience, that this time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is ripe with tension and has the potential for conflict. I don't know if it's because we're trying to cram a lot of things into schedules that are already busy. I don't know if it's the the forced closeness that sometimes happens with friends and family that we don't really get along with anyway. But my guess is that every single one of us is going to have something that we need to forgive or be forgiven for before this year is over. It's just the nature of the season. So I want to be really practical and helpful in this, not just heap guilt on anybody. So here's how we can begin to embrace forgiveness in our lives. The most important thing, I think, is to remember that forgiveness is a process not an event. It's not this one-time decision. It's going to take some time to work through all the emotions that we feel before we can truly forgive. But as soon as we can, as quickly as we can, we need to make the decision to forgive. And that decision to forgive a person doesn't instantly change anything. It just helps us remember when we've decided to forgive. It helps us remember when that thought comes to mind, when we see that person and we get agitated again, we need to forgive them again and again and again. And in some cases, hundreds of times before our heart begins to feel what our head is saying. We also need to be the first to forgive before it's deserved because they may never deserve it before they speak to us, before they even acknowledge that we're hurt, we need to extend forgiveness. And that's where a lot of us can get stuck in this forgiveness thing. Why do I have to go first? They hurt me. They should go first, right? Jesus explains it this way. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge that a friend has against you, abandon the offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. And then Jesus goes on to say, just a few chapters later, he says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go tell him and work it out between the two of you. So here's what I find really unfair in this, just my personal feelings on this. 
it really doesn't matter who's hurt. It doesn't matter who's in the wrong. Jesus is saying, I have to go and make it right. If they have a grudge against me, or if I'm holding something against them, I'm the one who has to step first. I'm the one. It's, it's one of those things in the Bible that I just don't like. You have some of those? I just don't like that I have to go no matter what, but I do it. Because Jesus said it's the right thing. We always need to make the first move when there's a problem in any relationship. And as we forgive, we need to expect nothing in return. Our culture reinforces this idea that love and forgiveness are commodities that are exchanged for performance. It's just not true. Forgiveness is a decision we make regardless of the other person's reaction. And we have to make it genuine. No, we're not talking about paying lip service here. We're not talking about saying the words too soon that we forgive somebody. And maybe all you can offer today to someone who's hurt you is to say to them, I want to forgive you. But emotionally, I'm just struggling to get there and I promise you I will work on it. It's a great step to take in forgiving somebody. A few years ago, Connie came up with a great way to express this in our relationship. Connie's my wife, for those of you who don't know us. Uh, Sometimes when I've hurt her and she wants to forgive me, she holds up two fingers. And no, it's not the ones you're thinking of. (laughs) I know you, and I forgive you for that. Um, she, She holds up these two fingers to me. Now, the first time she did that, I looked at her and I went, what does that mean? Right, which is really helpful when you're in the middle of an argument to take that tone. And so what does that mean? She goes, I forgive you, but it's going to take me two days to get over the anger. That's a helpful piece of information. <laughs> because my goal at that point is to give her space, to let her work through forgiving me, to not screw up again. <laughs> Because the last thing I want to do is spring two days against two days against two days, and all of a sudden I got two months, and that's too long. Honestly, that's the way forgiveness works. We can express it. It may take us two days to get there or more. Our mouths are going to speak forgiveness long before our hearts feel it. When you do it, make it permanent. It doesn't help us forgive if we keep nursing the grudge, if we keep retelling the story to everybody we know about how we've been hurt, how we've been wrong. It just makes it worse. Make it permanent. Stop telling the stories. Let them go. And if you're looking for the right time to forgive, do it now. Do it now. Because the longer we wait, the more damage we're going to do to our heart and the more difficult it's going to be to forgive that person. Jesus said, go ahead and be angry. (laughs) You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. None of this is easy. 
It's never easy to forgive someone that's hurt us deeply. And I'm not saying we won't be tempted that when we see that person again, we just want to unforgive them. But when a deep injury is done to us, we will never fully recover until we can fully forgive. And the time to start is now. It was more than 700 years before Jesus' birth that Isaiah penned some words about the Savior that was coming to the world, and he gave him all kinds of names that he would be known by. One of them, Isaiah said, he will be called the Prince of Peace. All the people in Jesus' day believed that the Messiah was coming to be a political figure. That he was going to throw off Roman oppression and the Roman government. He was going to reestablish the nation of Israel. And there would be peace in the land. It would be a political peace that Jesus was coming to bring. The longer I live, the more relationships I'm in, I am convinced that that name for Jesus was more relational than political. Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace to our relationship with God, peace to our relationship with each other. So let me ask you this morning, who do you need to forgive? What grudge, what pain have you been holding on to for far too long? Who's been in your head this morning while I've been talking? You see their face. We need to forgive fully, freely, just as we've been forgiven. And let me suggest to you that that forgiveness will be the most liberating gift that you give this Christmas.